0: learning and growing in God. So pull up a chair and grab a cup of coffee, or in my case,
1: tea, and join us as we fellowship. Let's go to the word of God. And I want you to put your finger in Genesis chapter four, verse three, and we'll go from three to 15. And I'll be reading from the easy to read version. And it reads, at harvest time, Cain brought a gift to the Lord. He brought some of the food that he had grown from the ground, but Abel brought some animals from his flock. He chose some of his best sheep and brought the best parts from them. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his offering. Cain was sad because of this and became very angry. The Lord asked Cain, why are you angry? Why does your face look sad? You know that if you do what is right, I will accept you. But if you don't, sin is ready to attack you. The sin will want to control you, but you must control it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go to the field. So they went to the field. Then Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Later, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain answered, I don't know. Is it my job to watch over my brother? I have got a lot right there. Then the Lord said, what have you done? You have killed your brother, and the ground opened up to take his blood from your hands. Now his blood is shouting to me from the ground. So you will be cursed from this ground. Now when you work, the soil, the ground, will not help your plants grow. You will not have a home in this land. You will wander from place to place. Then Cain said to the Lord, this punishment is more than I can bear. You are forcing me to leave the land, and I will not be able to be near you or have a home. Now I must wander from place to place, and anyone I meet could kill me. Then the Lord said to Cain, No, if anyone kills you, I will punish that person much more. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to show that no one should kill him. The word of the Lord is blessed. Thank God for his word. And just from the context of these few verses, I'd like to examine this this verse in light of the importance of unity to God from the subject, my brother's keeper. So let's talk about unity. Unity is first and foremost in the mind of God. We are introduced to this divine concept of unity in the first five words of the biblical text. The Bible says in the first five words, in the beginning, God created. Everything we see and experience from the farthest heavens to the deepest depths of the earth, the Godhead Elohim created the holiest concept of oneness. That word there, God, in that verse means the triune God. It's the Godhead. So it's, it's, it's a picture of the collaboration of God with himself to create everything that we see and don't see. Each person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is so in sync that our human minds stagger to understand the mystery of God's triune nature. God is unity. The idea of oneness it speaks to the, the, uh, the, the beautiful interconnectedness that is all that is God. To this day, we wrestle with trying to understand or describe God, and we, we create these analogies to try to figure out, what the Trinity is. So it's the egg, it's the yolk, it's this and that. Just trying to wrap around our minds what unity means to God. The perfect picture of unity is God. In fact, Jesus prayed above all else that uh, we be one as he and the Father are one. Indistinguishable in nature, character, and image. When you see me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. The Father, I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. Before Abraham was, I am. The list goes on about the interconnectedness of God and his triuneness here. So many more references to the inseparable unity of God with himself. But in order for us to fully grasp the divine concept of unity, we must first see its critical importance as it relates to us individually. And this story creates a beautiful image to show us uh, how important unity is, uh, because oftentimes when we look at unity, we think about it, we think about the the, the corporate collaboration to achieve something. When we think about unity, we think about a common goal. We think about uh, coming together where there's strength in numbers. But I want to suggest to us today that unity starts with you. Unity starts with one. Unity starts with your definition of what, coming together really is. And most importantly, what the motive and whose motive we are after. Here we find one of the most popular stories in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve's children. Um, Cain and Abel are brothers and they are offspring of Adam and Eve, the first offspring of creation. And we see here that they are grown up in the same house. right? So we have to say that everything has been equal up until this point in the story. They had the same parents, same godly home, same church, so to speak, same word they're getting, same stuff, but yet we see here there's a drastic difference in their experiences and then the consequences of decisions that were made that end up teaching us a story about where unity really begins. God gave me a few points that I wanted to share and then extrapolate some things from this text that we could chew on. The first thing is unity is more than just doing the same things. Unity is more than just doing the same things together. As we said, often we think of unity and define it as just coming together to complete a task. Um, And once that task is done, then unity has, has had its purest definition. But it's much deeper than that. If we look at these brothers, as we said before, they, they both gave up something valuable. Like they both made sacrifices in the story, and they both gave up something that is valuable. They both performed the essentials of a religious act. Now, this is, this is, this is kinda of gonna get in our, in our business a little bit, because we can see ourselves in this situation. We can see ourselves in the fact that, yeah, you know, we have a lot in common with our brothers and sisters as we come to church. There's a lot of things that are in common, and from, the, from our eyes, it could really prove that, wow, this is a really unified gathering. When I come to challenge that and really look deeper and, and really assess what is God seeing, and not for us in particular, but as God, as God looks down on those he created, and he looks down at all the churches today and everybody fellowshiping today, uh, does God really see the oneness that he wants us to reflect? what is God looking at when he looks down on our gatherings? You look at this story, um, everything seems to be the same. Everything seems to be common. However, one murders the other because of the wrong interpretation of the same thing. Let's think about this. Thank you, Lord. All things were common, but yet murder came out of it. So the only thing that we can say is that there is something askew in the interpretation of the common things. And this is what happens a lot of times when we are uh, gathering into one place and we are hearing from God or hearing each other worship and speak. It's less about what we're hearing and more about what we're understanding. It's less about the song and and the sounds. It's more about what, what is resonating in each and every one of us. See, see, unity can be fabricated on the outside, but God is more concerned about what we don't really see because the residence of the spirit comes from what is unseen. So God is looking at our hearts, He's looking at our minds, He's looking at why we're singing, He's looking at why we're shouting, He's looking at why, He's He's looking at all of this. His His holy eyes are examining the true intentions of why we have really gathered together. So unity is more than just doing the same things together. Second point is, at the heart of unity is personal faith in the promises of God. Now, this, this part i I, I got to spend a, a little longer on because it, it's very important, I think, to, to really uh, seek to grasp the fact that in order to have unity in the purest form, that faith is involved. Yeah, it, it's, it's the faith in God that deciphers whether unity is genuine or not. Okay, so we gotta prove that, okay. Uh, The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and four, I'll read the easy to read again. Cain and Abel both offered sacrifices to God. But Abel offered a better sacrifice to God because he had faith. God said he was pleased with what Abel offered and so God called him a good man because he had faith. Abel died, but through his faith is still speaking. Now how does, what does this have to do with, with this? Because see, see uh, uh, what, what, is, what, is, what is amazing about this is, it's possible to offer God a sacrifice without faith in who he is. It's possible to fall into the temptation to go through the motions and offer God something that in the eyes of the people would look like it's the same as what someone else offered. Hebrews 11 gives us the hall of faith. And these are the people that are listed that exemplify supernatural faith in God, which is why we are heralding them in this hall of faith. But the first person that's listed is Abel. And I I was perplexed by Abel being listed here by faith. What did Abel believe by faith that caused him to offer a more excellent sacrifice than Cain? So then I started to do a little digging. And I started to wrestle with the fact that, well, was it about the sacrifice? And I'm talking about unity. I'm coming around. Uh, Was it about the sacrifice? Like, okay, because Cain was a farmer, so it makes sense for him to offer what he was good at. And 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 Abel was a shepherd, and of course it would be, make sense for him to offer something like that. But this is what we tend to do, which is what God is talking about, about our personal faith in the promises of God. Because we have to understand first, that Cain and Abel are a product of Adam and Eve, who were the first experiencers of God's grace in the text. Now as parents, this indicates to me that Cain and Abel would have been told about the experience that their parents had a little while ago. And the experience that the parents had a little while ago is, hey, listen, we messed up and disobeyed God, and that's why life is this way. But what God did was when we messed up, God killed an animal and clothed us with it, which is why you're wearing clothes right now. So by faith, Abel remembered the point of a sacrifice. Because the sacrifice, see, and this is, this is what God is trying to help us to understand. Like, God always has a reason as to why he's doing things. And in order for us to understand and come to worship him in spirit and in truth, you cannot have truth without understanding. Understand why you give, why you pray, why you don't do things, why you do things. Because in that is truth. And you can worship with joy when you know what you're worshiping about. So this is what is happening here. By faith, Abel recalls, hold on, the purpose of a sacrifice is to sacrifice and blood is required. But what we like to do is offer God what we believe God should accept. That's what we do. Oh God, You know, God has been good to me, so I'm going to give him what I deem is good, but I'm not going to give him what hurts. I'm, I'm going to give God what's a little more convenient for me because I'm not, I'm a farmer. So it'd just be easier for me to go ahead and get some fruits. The first, it's the first fruit. Okay. It's the first, God, it's the first fruit. I'm going to give you the first fruit. I'm going to give you this. But what the whole purpose of a sacrifice is, is that sacrifice was really, it was not a presentation to God. It was, it had an atoning factor to it. It was a prelude to what God's intention is for mankind. This sacrifice here represented what God's gonna to plan to do centuries down the road to bring us back to him. And this is what the whole basis of unity is. Unity is based on the personal faith that we have in God's promise to bring us all together under Christ. And if we are in the body of Christ and that is not the fuel behind our agenda, then we are not unified. When you look at the church today, you've got the white church and the black church. You've got this denomination and that denomination, and this way of doing it and that way of doing it. And we are so divided. And I, 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 I question what God feels and thinks when he looks down and sees all of our hearts. Like, how God has made it so simple here, and he's trying to show us the consequences of our agenda being more important than God's. God's agenda is simple, that all may come into the knowledge of the truth that all may come to Jesus. That's it. Everything else that we're doing is just stuff that makes us feel better. All the other stuff that we're doing, all the traditions and all the things that we say, God simplified it. You are one in Christ. And we think about this, right? Now think about this in context context. So this, this story is really showing us some really drastic consequences here. So let's look at this. In Hebrews 11 and four, the Bible says, that the reason Abel's sacrifice was better was because he had faith, not solely because of the sacrifice itself. Think, think, Think about that. God said Abel's sacrifice was more excellent and more acceptable because what he believed when he did it. And what his faith was saying, his faith was reaching forward to the cross when he did it which is why it was counted as righteousness to him before the cross. Now, this, this, causes us to, this causes you to think, like the things that we do, like are we reaching for the cross when we do it? Like is the cross the motive why we give? Is the cross the motive why we don't do things? Or is it just because we don't want to get in trouble? Are you consequence-driven or grace-driven? This is what God is asking us today through this, through this text. So Abel recalled the story of his parents and Adam and Eve when, when they sinned against God and he believed in the promise of God that was revealed and, and offered the same sacrifice that God demonstrated that day. And the Bible says on the day Adam and Eve sinned, scripture tells us that God made them clothes from animal skins, which is an indication of what a sacrifice should be to God. The third point is competition breeds contention and demonstrates a lack of faith in God. Let's look at verse five. But for, this is Genesis four, five through seven. But for Cain and his offering, God had no respect. So Cain became extremely indignant, this is the Amplified Bible, and he looked annoyed and hostile. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so annoyed? If you do well, believing me, watch what what this means. The Amplified does a beautiful job of opening this up. Watch this. If you do well, what is doing well? Believing in me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, will you not be accepted? Now, hold on. This indicates to us that Cain knew what was pleasing and acceptable to God. Just like many of us under the guise of Christian fellowship, understand and have an inkling about what is acceptable and pleasing to God. So what the scripture is telling us here, is revealing to us, is it's possible that Cain knew what was to do, but decided what he thought was the way to do it was better. So God basically says, I mean, haven't I praised you when you've done well? Well, am I not God enough to get you when you don't do well. And this is where the interpretation turns. And this is how the enemy gets us hurt by correction, offended by correction, because our pride rises up and now turns what is supposed to help us into something that harms us. And this is the difference between Cain and Abel here. It was the same upbringing. It's the same word. It's the same parents. It's the same church. It's the same God. It's the same garden. It's the same bloodline. Everything is the same, but right here we see pride turn the interpretation of the same loving God's heart into something else. Instead of saying, you know what? Okay. Cain, his posture changes. Cain's disposition changes. Right. See, and that, 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 that's the indication that there was something off in the heart because he couldn't hide it no more. Now this becomes a competition. God help us with competition in the body of Christ. God help us with feeling like we got to outdo each other for God's glory. And we got to get in good graces with God by praying and letting everybody know that we prayed. And when it's testimony time, we got to have the longest testimony about how much better my relationship with God is than yours. Nobody ever been to those kind of testimony services before. But we, 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 our human spirit takes over. And all of a sudden we start laying claims to things that are not really our territory. So Cain, his face changes. And his face changes not towards, not just towards his brother, but his face changes towards God. His disposition changes so much so that God questions him and God says hey 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 hey, man what's going on with your heart because your face is turned up right now Cain is lifted up in pride and the next verse says and if you do not do well this is what God is saying to him but ignore my instruction sin crouches at the door and its desire is for you to overpower you but you must master it. So God is basically warning Cain here. Hold on now. Once your heart starts turning and once it starts becoming competition and once it starts becoming about agendas and once it starts becoming about who's pleasing God more and once it starts coming about who got the bigger church and once it starts becoming about all these other things that we now sin crouches at the door and it will overpower you. But see, the the beautiful thing about this this verse is it tells you that we're all prone to that. We're all prone to the spirit of competition. We're all prone. because The reason why you're prone to it is because you're a human being. And you need to be competitive in order to eat. Oh, yeah. yeah, Oh, the Bible teaches you that. You know, they got to work the ground in order. So you got to compete with the ground to get what the fruit is. So there's this idea of fighting for what you feel like you're owed, trying to reach for what you want that the enemy perverts and now brings it into the kingdom. And that attitude comes in the kingdom and instead of working together, we find ourselves working separately, separate agendas. Look at what happens to Cain. Bible says sin crouches at the door and his desires for you to overpower you, but you must master it, you must constantly Tell yourself to go sit down somewhere. You must constantly tell yourself that it's not about you. You must constantly tell yourself to be quiet. You must constantly tell yourself that it's about Jesus and the cross, and it's not about me. Yes, my feelings are hurt. Yes, I was hurt, but it's not about me. Is God worth the pain that I'm going through right now? Sit down somewhere and worship God. This is what this is what we always have to do. We have to master it. So okay, Cain... Um, his, 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 his heart turns. and Now Cain is, now he's mad. And now he's mad to the point where now he's looking at his brother as a threat. Oh, I'm saying something. I just said something. I just said, now he's looking at his brother. Now hold on, this is not about blood brothers. This is about brother meaning cooperation. This is about brother meaning same community. This is about brother meaning under the same family, under the same church. Under the same teaching, under the same God. This is, let's expand it now. This is about brothers. And now because your prayer got answered and mine didn't, and God played me but accepted you, now I'm looking at you as a threat. Hmm. Now what kind of, what, what kind of unity can we have if this is the posture of our heart? Well, what is God seeing? If there are secret agendas going on in our hearts that ultimately will lead to murder. So I'm asking us to see this, not just in the natural sense, but see it in the spirit, that we're murdering people with our mouth. We're murdering people with how we treat them. We, 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 we're murdering people because of how we see God sees them and our interpretation of God's favoritism on them and his disdain on us. How are you interpreting God? How are you interpreting God? the word that you're hearing. How how are you interpreting your walk with God? How do you feel about the God that you serve? These, These are questions that the Lord is asking us to search our hearts for. So we find ourselves competing for God's affection and attention rather than participating and contributing to the greater redemptive objective. We are all in danger of corrupting ourselves. So when we find ourselves competing for God's attention, We do things because we want God to be pleased with us. We, we, we we, We do things because we want God's attention. We want God's favor. We're trying to get brownie points in heaven. And if that becomes the driving force of our salvation, we find ourselves in danger of corrupting ourselves. Because once again, now you're making it about your ability to please God rather than God's grace through Christ to please God through his empowerment. We can't please God in our own strength. You need God to help you please God. It is him working in us, both to will and to do what is pleasing to him. So God warns Cain to not allow pride to blind him from seeing what is really pleasing to God. And we must control and master this sinful desire to make things about us. Or it will not only keep us from experiencing the joys of unity, but destroy us in the process. Point number four, your future is not more important than your brothers. Your future is not more important than your brothers. Okay, this right here is at the heart of competition. This right here undermines unity like nothing else. The idea, and the, it's, it's a subtle idea, subtle mindset, a subtle way of thinking that what God has for me to do is somehow more important and more pertinent than my neighbor. Watch this. Okay, where, where's that in the text? Well, Cain, verse, let's look at verse eight. We're walking through the text. Genesis four, verse four and eight and nine. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, about what God had said. Now, hold on a second. Now, look at this here. God says all this to Cain. Cain's face changes. So now Cain goes to his brother and they have a conversation. Bible says Cain Cain tells Abel everything that God said. And when they were alone working in the field, Cain attacked Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Where is Abel your brother? And he lied and said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay, now hold on a second, hold on a second. This, this, this is the meaty part, right? Okay, so so the the, the idea of, of, of Cain saying, am I my brother's keeper, really is, is, it needs to be interpreted, right? So Cain is not saying, I don't know where he is, am I supposed to be his babysitter? That's not what he's saying. When you study the text, what Cain is saying is, am I responsible for my brother's future? Where's your brother? Am I supposed to be responsible for my brother's future? Uh, What does my brother's future have to do with me? I don't know what he's doing, and neither do I know where he is. Now think 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 about what you are saying. Think about the idea that this story takes place in the context of family, which is a microcosm of what unity is. Think about the fact that now we have an older brother who was born first with all the rights and privileges of being first and now slays his brother out of pride and discontent. And now when God calls out and says, where's your brother? He answers God, I don't know. And how am I responsible for my brother's future? I remind you of the point that your future is not more important than your brother's. What Cain was basically saying is, I should be responsible for where I'm going. I'm responsible. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for for him? And, 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 And the answer from heaven is absolutely. Because at the basis of unity is our responsibility and respect for each other's future. Because all of us are connected in God's ultimate plan to bring salvation to the world. So if I'm sitting next to you and disregarding God's plan for you, thinking that my plan is better than yours, I might as well be sabotaging what God has instituted for you. Cain kills his brother and the Bible says something crazy. The Bible says that when Abel's blood hits the ground, it cries out. I had to chew on that like this was such a cataclysmic event that the blood of his brother called out to God now what did God hear Well, when you look at that that uh that phrase that his blood cried out um it is said that that blood there is speaking to the bloodline it's speaking to the potential What God is hearing is all the people that would have been touched by Abel's life. And all of the hope and potential that was in the blood of his brother was crying out because it was snapped out before time. And we think about this in the context of unity. How can we truly have unity when it's so easy to kill our brothers and sisters with our words? And it's so easy for us to not respect each other's lane, And it's so easy for us to say one gift is better than the other. And and it's so easy for us to disregard and disrespect each other and throw each other away. When in a sense that we are murdering people's potential to be what God called them to be. And then it undermines God's plan because we're all connected. So his blood cried out from the ground. The potential. All the generations that would have been blessed and touched by what God intended to do through Abel was snapped out. And that's what God was hearing. Why? Because Cain thought that his future was better and more important and more pertinent and more valuable than his brother. Genesis 4, 11, 14. And now you are cursed. This is what God says to Cain after he does it. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's shed blood from your hands. When you cultivate the ground, it shall not no longer yield its strength. It will resist producing good crops for you. You shall be a fugitive and a vagabond roaming aimlessly on the earth in perpetual exile without a home, a degraded outcast. And Cain says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out this day from the face of the land, and from the face, your presence, I will be hidden. And I will be a fugitive and an aimless vagabond on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Notice something. Notice that the consequence of Cain's crime was not death. The consequence of Cain's crime was isolation. And isolation, is ultimately, ultimately the death of unity. Yeah. Isolation is anti-uniting. Isolation means you're not connected to anyone. And let's look down the road at this story as we examine how we got here. How did Cain get here? How did his family get destroyed? Not only was the family destroyed, but the relationship with God was disconnected. And the punishment, far greater than death, was isolation from the presence of God, was isolation from the family. So he was marked with the stain of isolation because his pride and lack of faith in God's bigger plan was not there. And the result of these not only led to killing his brother, but division and perpetual disconnection from God and his family. The reason why unity starts with me is because God designed it that way. And true unity has to have more than a motive of a common goal. True unity has to have more than a task that brings together or an enemy that we all hate, that we want to fight together. We're not united as a church because we're fighting the devil. That is not the reason why we base our unity on. We're united by the grace of God. We're united by the love of God. We're not united because we hate the devil. You see, you see, you see, you see. So God wants to get us to the heart of what unity means so that when we are uh, called to be one, we can truly be one. See, notice, Jesus said, me and my father are one. Me, me and my father are one because we're on the same page. That's what he said. He didn't say, we, me and my father are one because we are fighting the forces of darkness and we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. No, that's what we like to make it about. But the point is, we got me and God are on the same page. At the end of the day, it's about redemption. At the end of the day, it's about bringing all mankind back to God. That's the point. And the devil has to answer to that God too. So we're not going to give him more praise than he's worthy of. God is worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, and all the credit goes to him. That's what unites us it's God and the power of God and the love of Christ. My last point, and I'm closing. Prioritizing God's agenda keeps us in the manifested presence of God. Prioritizing God's agenda keeps us in the manifested presence of God. The greatest punishment that Cain endured was the fact that he was no longer able to access the manifested presence of God. And while he was worried about getting killed, the worst part of it was the fact that I can't experience God like I used to. Or I took for granted the opportunity I had to get to know God better. I chose my own agenda. I chose my pride. I chose to see my brother as a threat. I chose to not humble myself. I chose to use my strength. I chose to use my seniority to dictate the outcome of this situation. And if anything, I chose myself over God. And because of that, I'm suffering the consequence. Think about that. Think about the gravity of that choice. and Think about what the Lord is presenting to us today as a choice as we consider the reality of what it means to truly be unified. God wants to get us to the place of being able to say, as David said, oh, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Think about that in the context of David's messy life. And that David knew war and conflict for the majority of his kingship. And he got to get to a place of surrender to God that, you know what? It's about you. And it's always about you. And me to have peace, it's got to be about you. For me to have joy, it's got to be about you. For me to be fulfilled, it's got to be about you. For me to do what you call me to do, it's got to be about you. And if it's not about you, then there is no joy. And if it's, not, if it's not about you, there's no peace. There's no real fulfillment. So last few verses in Genesis four fifteen through 16. And the Lord said, therefore, whoever kills can. Look, how, look at what God does, right? God still answers Cain's prayer even though he's off. I got to take a sip of water on that part. Because this really shows us the heart of God that God don't want to have to punish people. And if judgment comes, it's from the angle of love. It's the fact that you ain't listened when I was talking nice, so now I got to get you, but I still love you. Look at what God, okay, don't worry. You're not going to have to live the rest of your life in fear of being killed. I'm going to put a mark on you to let people know they can't touch you. And if they touch you, I'm going to defend you. If they try to touch you, I'm going to defend you. What kind of loving God do we have? That Yes, you're going to have to deal with this consequence of your choice, but I'm not going to kill you, and I'm not going to let nobody kill you either. And if he's not dead, then there's hope. If he's not dead, then there's still an opportunity for God to get to him. And this is what we have to see as God. That's why I ask you, what is your interpretation of this God that you worship and that you see and you say and you serve What What is your interpretation? Do you see God as a merciful, loving, forgiving, kind God? Or are you seeing him as a God that's getting ready to get you for everything that you ever did? Are you worshiping God because you feel like you need to worship him? You feel like you have to worship him out of compulsion? That you have to worship him because your life was so bad and you made so many mistakes? Or are you ready to receive the fullness of God's grace and really get ready to experience what it means to be a part of God's unified family? When we see our lives, our plans and what we want to achieve, our personal ambitions and need for vindication as paramount, sin is crouching at the door. God is calling us into the joy of Christian fellowship to experience the awesome power of true and genuine unity. We must be willing to relinquish control. We gotta be willing to let go of our narrative. We gotta be willing to Uh relinquish what we feel and what we feel entitled to and surrender to the will of God and the whole plan of God. Not just what God has for you but what also what God has for your brother. This is what God wants to share to us today. So as we reflect on these points, first point was unity is more than just doing things together. That at the heart of unity is personal faith in the promises of God. That competition breeds contention and demonstrates a lack of faith in God and that your future is not more important than your brother's. And finally, prioritizing God's agenda keeps us in a manifested presence of God. Unity starts with each and every one of us. And may we all grow closer to God as we receive the challenge to look at ourselves in a deeper way and seek God's mercy and grace as we seek to love one another better. Amen, let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this time. We thank you for the moments that we have shared together to hear your heart as it relates to one of the most profound characteristics about you, that you are one inseparable, indistinguishable, just all around wonderfully one, uniquely one, confusingly one, perplexingly one, amazingly one. You are one and you desire us to be one in the same way. But we've examined this story, Lord, and we see that we are flawed. We see that we are insecure. We see that we are anxious and afraid. We see that sometimes we feel Uh, a sense of pride, and and we feel like uh, a part of us doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of your plan in the earth. So we pray, Lord, that even as we have opened up our hearts that you will continue to illuminate your plan for each and every one of us. And help us to be ever so careful to not prioritize our agenda over yours. Help us to be ever so careful to not confuse doing the same things together is real unity. Help us, God, not to confuse that our future is more important than the neighbor, our brothers, our sisters, but help us to see that you have us all under the same watch, under the same accountability, and under the same grace to do what you have called each and every one of us to do for your glory. Unite us, Lord, not only in an outward appearance, but in our hearts. Help us to realize that unity starts with us. Help us to have the right interpretation of who you are. Lord, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Before you go, we'd like to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Romans 9 through 10 says that if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart, we shall be saved. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize and acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of your grace. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn away from my sins and ask you to forgive me and save me. I make you Lord of my life. If you made this life-changing decision, welcome to the family. We want to know about it. Connect with us online at www.thelifehouseministries.org or by downloading the Lifehouse app. We love you all and pray God continues to bless and keep you.